Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 257 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is February 4th, 2013, the day after the Super Bowl, two days before National Letter of Intent Day. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast talking about USC football. Tomorrow we're going to talk about some USC recruiting on the Trojan Blast version of the podcast, but for this version, we're going to focus on the USC football team. We have a bunch of questions to get to, and we do love to hear from you. So if you have a question, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can give us a call at 206-888-6755. Leave a voicemail there, or go right to peristylepodcast.com and leave us a voicemail right from your computer. And we're going to have Dan Weber coming up later on in the show, talking USC football. We have Coach Harvey Hyde, who had a brief hiatus, missed last week, but he's he's back on the show. What's going on, Coach? How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, I had a break. I was on secret assignment again. Everyone uh, will try to figure that out someday and what I'm doing. <laughs> but uh, it's simple. I have uh, radio shows that I do in Las Vegas, and Ryan, I want to thank you for being a guest uh, on Thursday night on my show. As we, uh, I do a show up there called USC Trojan Talk, and you are nice enough to be uh, our guest and also uh, discuss recruiting. So uh, I enjoyed that very much. I want to thank you here uh, on your podcast that you allow me to do with you. And since I've got that out of the way, why don't we move forward? Because as you just mentioned, we're only a couple of days away from a huge day. Yeah, signing day is huge, and, and you're definitely very welcome. It's, it's always an honor to come on your show, Coach. I like doing that. Um, it's fun to talk football with you. We do it here every week, but it's fun to do it on your shows too. Uh, before we jump into all the questions, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Uh, if you go to sctickets.com, that's where you can find those guys, and they have tickets for any kind of sporting events, concerts, theaters, stuff like that. Uh, I think probably even UFC, which I checked out this weekend, Coach. I went to the UFC fight in Las Vegas. That was a lot of fun. Just flew back this morning, so if my voice is not up to to snuff, that's probably why. Um, But you can go to sctickets.com or call them at 1-800-888-7287, and they can definitely take care of you. And Coach, it's been a crazy, crazy time this uh, last few weeks and kind of heading into signing day. Before we get to the questions, I thought maybe, you know, if you want to share some thoughts of what you did going through as a head coach when it's only a couple of days away from signing day, which is basically like Christmas for the recruiting fans out there and for college coaches. Was it always a crazy time of year for you? Yeah, it really was. You try to do your last moment uh, uh, surgery, as we say, uh, talk to the person who we felt was going to at least sit down with the players we weren't sure with about who's going to commit and who's not going to commit or sign and uh, make sure that those people are on our side because every single young person out there who's getting ready to make this huge decision in their life is going to ask someone, what do you think? 
And we had to learn to identify who that person was. Sometimes it was a parent or mother or father or an uncle or a grandpa. Sometimes it was the equipment guy in the locker room. Someone that person trusted. Sometimes it was a girlfriend. Uh, So we had to identify who that was early in the recruiting process. And we always made sure that we had contact with that individual. How are we doing? Is he still safe? Uh, what, who's been talking to him, these different type of things so we knew what angle or she or he or they would say, Coach, I think you need to go this way because this school is coming in and saying this about you. And and uh, that and I used to always come back and say, if they're talking about me, they have nothing to talk about their own program that is positive. So let them talk about me and tell your son if they're talking about a program they're scared of and they can't talk about their own, but they can't compete with mine. And uh, we'd have different angles that we had to do along the recruiting process to make sure that, that you know, we had dotted our eyes. Now, we also had a backup. I don't think we didn't have a backup because we didn't get every single person we thought we were going to get. And we had a big war room like uh, you see uh, in the NFL, and we had our charts. And we had at that time we could have our coaches on the road. At that time, it was a 7 a.m. signing period where our coaches would go in and sign them in person. So I would always have a open line or many lines open and a fax machine open where the coaches would call into me and say, we lost him. And we would say immediately, I knew who to call and say, go after him, sign him, offer him. And when we got one, they'd call in and we'd have our big hurrahs, put his name on the board and say, we got him, he signed, I have the letter of intent in my hand. So it's it's a very uh, tedious and uh, stressful day. After recruiting, I used to give my coaches a week off because they were on the road. It came in right after football. Uh, and I used to say, if we had a great recruiting year, which we hope we did, then I would say, hey, go home, because they worked on weekends with visits and so on. Go home, enjoy a week. I wanted them to recharge their batteries. I would stay in the office and work with my academic advisors to make sure that we had everything dotted, all the letter of intents were signed properly, everyone was going to get into school, and then the coaches would come back, and the next thing is spring practice. So our off-season program would start. We had a strength and conditioning coach, as they do now. They knew what we were going to do. I would go down to the strength and conditioning programs and be around my players. I used to love to be around my players. My players couldn't go anywhere to study hall or they couldn't go to the weight room or anything without me showing up. Because if it's that important for them to go to these events or to these study halls or to these workout sessions, then why aren't I there? Why don't I show up and even maybe even work out with them, which I did at times. I'd go down there and, of course, I'd do my own routine. I wouldn't do what they were doing, but they would see that I cared enough about what they were doing to be there. It was that important that I didn't have something else to do that was more important. So uh, there's a lot going on now, and I'll tell you, this uh, recruiting class for USC is going to be very important. They have so far had a great recruiting class. They want to close it with a strong class and hope this will be the positive thing they need in their football program to continue in the spring practice and then roll in to the fall camps. Now, everyone is waiting. The next big decision after signing date is who are the coaches going to be and who's going to coach what. Right, yeah. 
So that's going to be our next topic of discussion for the next couple of weeks, Ryan. Certainly will be. We had some questions on that today, too. Um, we'll talk with uh, Dan Weber a little bit later, something about that. But no no announcements have been made. There's two assistant coaches, spots still open. Uh, there'll be a linebacker coach and then another coach we're not really sure of yet. So I think Lane Kiffin will start addressing those concerns, and we'll be able to talk to Clancy Pendergast after National Signing Day. But until then, yes, that's what's everyone's mind right now. What this, What is this recruiting class going to look like? We've got about 48 hours, and we'll start finding out. Um, I wanted to jump into some of these questions, though, Coach, if we can. And I did you, have – You know, you know, I don't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no, go You ahead. know what would be a great topic next week for us is ask me what I would do with the two remaining coaching positions, okay? Okay, we can do that. I'll put that on the – Remember that. Remember, because that would be good. I'll tell you exactly what I would do with the two remaining coaching positions, okay? Okay, sounds good. Uh, let's go to – well, first, I had a – one question: Someone called up to order the podcast, Coach. So I'm not sure you don't you don't have to order the podcast. If you go to peristylepodcast.com, you can see our current episodes. But if you want to see the previous ones, there's a link right there that says uh, previous episodes or uh, archived episodes. You can go to there. We have an RSS feed too. You can check that out. So you don't need to order the podcast. Just want to make that clear for people. Um, there's a couple of questions we had on the offense, Coach, and he split up into two parts. Wanting to know, one, do you think Kiffin would truly commit to the run game and make them be a physical team that could get defenses out of the cover two by committing to the run game? And then two, do you think Kiffin's going to be able to develop the mid-range passing attack to help these young quarterbacks, similar to what he did with John David Booty back in 2006? Well, I think it's <clears throat> I think it's a must. I mean, uh, is he or canny or whatever either he better develop it or somebody better develop it (laughs) because you can't win without running the football and i think he's heard that enough i think i've said it enough i think everybody said it enough if you watch all of the shows on television or past coaches talk about it if you don't have a running game and if you don't have uh toughness in your football team as far as you saw two teams play on sunday that are physical football teams that's Smash Mouth, and they're in the biggest game of the year uh, as far as the NFL is concerned. You've got to be able to be physical. And the kids uh, at USC and, and the coaches, that's a responsibility to, to have a physical football team. And uh, I think that the offensive line has got to become more physical. The defensive line's got to become more physical. They've got to tackle. They've got to do the things that are necessary to, to win now. You've got to be able to develop not only a running game, but you've got to be able to know what comes off that running game as far as to be able to make sure your play-action pass works. And you can't have tendencies off of your running game. You've got to have more than one or two plays off of the running game. It just can't be one play or two plays, and if they stop it, they've stopped your running game. You've got to have misdirection plays. You've got to be able to trap. You've got to be able to have power. You've got to be able to have the different type of plays to keep a defense off balance. You've got to be able to keep a defense guessing. And you've got to be able to be physical as far as pass blocking and also run blocking. And you've got to be able to be able to run the football on the goal line. You've got to be able to line up and have a philosophy that if you if you mess with us, we're going to run it in. I was very surprised in the Super Bowl that I didn't see San Francisco when they were on the seven-yard line or get close to it, get into their jumbo formation, and say, that got us here. We ran the ball down the field. 
if this is what we're going to do, stop us. We got to this point because of our physicalness in our offensive line and what we do, and it went in short yardage. I didn't see him do that, and I was very surprised that if you're going to pass the ball, go in zone routes. Don't go short, flat routes or make it a rough pass option where Kaepernick can use his speed and the ability to run the football in, and they never did that. So I think SC has to get their quarterback to more active into their running game. Now you say, oh, well, SC's quarterbacks are what you call pro-style quarterbacks. That's fine. But you've got to be able to have them be a threat on a bootleg or a threat as far as some type of option or something that holds the corners where the corners just can't play pass all the time. And they've got three quarterbacks now that supposedly can play. So I can't believe in this injury factor that we're afraid to get one of them hurt because you've got to do what it takes to win. If you watch, if they're playing man defense and, and uh, they're coming after you and you, you ha- and you have to run up the middle like you saw Kaepernick and other guys do, you've got to do that. You can't be fearful of not doing that. You've got to be able to take advantage of where the play is. But to, to be uh, answer the question as far as being physical and running the football, hey, if you don't run the football, you're not going to win. You've got to run the football, and you've got to be physical and tough to be able to uh, win football games today. Okay. What was the second half of oh, that? Oh, uh, so he wanted to talk about the uh, intermediate passing routes to, to help young quarterbacks like uh, what, what Lane Kiffin did with John David Booty in 2006. Well, whether he did does it with John, who did it with Don John David Booty or whatever, you got to have, you got to have a deep, deep uh, passing game, an intermediate passing game. You've got to be able to route routes. You got to be able to run curl routes. You got to be able to dump the football off. You've got to teach backs to read linebackers, and if they drop out, you curl inside. You teach your tight end if the linebackers go out, you curl to the in, inside, or you set them up. You've got to be able to do all that, and you've got to be able to take advantage of your athletic ability of your players. It's just all part of it. You've got to be able to run draws, and you've got to be able to run them successfully. You just can't have one draw. You've got to have several draws, and you've got to have play-action pass-off the draws. And if you're going to throw the ball, too, what's wrong with screens occasionally to keep everybody honest? And you've got to have maximum protection. So if they decide to come after you, you can maximum protection. They're going to be playing man when they come after you. So your quarterback has confidence that he's going to have time to throw the football. So you've got to be able to dot all the I's offensively that can help you be successful. And if you leave one phase of it out, then you're not a complete football team and you're not doing your job as far as teaching and coaching and preparing your team to get ready, and they all know that because these, co- these kids today have played a lot of football, and they've come up and they know what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing and what works and what doesn't work. Okay, let's go to Boyd and San Ramon up next. He says, Coach, what is your opinion about all the negativity from USC fans lately? Last year, yes, last year was a disappointment. But, oh, well, life goes on. This negativity exact, is exactly what that uber creep Paul D. was hoping for with his corrupt ruling. Kiffin is operating with one hand tied behind his back. And Hayden has said Kiffin will be here for the next two years. I believe the constant bashing from many USC fans does nothing but hurt the program. That's Boyd and San Ramon. And I agree with him 100%. I think some of the negative things that people talk about. USC football program, the media, as well as some of the 
blogs. I mean, people are real loyal to uh, USC football, but, you know, recruits read all this stuff. Recruits and high school coaches, and they believe a lot of these writers, and including myself, when I say some of these things. And does it help the program or hurt the program? I think that uh, I'm not fair if I don't answer the questions right uh, as far as when I'm asked a question, because if I start making up things and become a homer and whatever, then people don't respect uh, what I'm saying. But I think there's a point of when you say, okay, enough's enough. Let's work on the bleeding. Let's put a bandage on it. Let's put some stitches in it. And if uh, Pat Hayden is saying that Coach Lane Kiffin is the coach, all right, what what does the negative talk help? How does it help? You just heard me talk about what they need to do. Well, let's move forward. To continue to complain about the NCAA and the sanctions, hey, you know, all that does is cause more negativeness against your own team if you're a USC person. That's the way it is. And if it changes it, great. Let's don't find excuses for losing. Let's find ways to win and overcome it. And uh, I think this is what the process should be. That's why I said uh, next week I, I want to talk about what I would do if I was at USC with the last two coaching positions as far as trying to stop the bleeding. But you've got to move forward. There isn't going to be a coaching change. I'm not advocating there should be a coaching change. But what I'm saying, accept uh, uh, what's there and then go forward and put these people and these kids and these coaches in a position that, uh, to be successful and, uh, uh, and, and have faith in your administration that they know what's right for USC. And if they don't, then the the pressure starts to go towards them. And people say, well, maybe, maybe it's not just us or the coaches. Maybe it's the administration that doesn't realize what this is all about. When you look at USC's athletic department and the tradition of USC, it all starts with the football program. Now, for someone to tell me it starts with one of the other sports I would bear to differ with them. And I would say this. If I had a little problem, health problem, and I needed to go to a doctor to cure it, and let's say I had a heart problem, I need to get checked up on an ankle and a wrist. Okay, well, the first thing I better do is take care of the heart, or I'm not going to be, it doesn't make any difference how my ankle feels or my wrist or my hand. And right now, the heart of USC's athletic program, contributions, pride of the school, sweatshirts that are being worn everywhere, is the football program. So you need to do give it a bypass, or you need to do something to correct that so the blood flows uh, strong to all of the other areas of the programs at USC. All of them. Because the uh, image of USC starts with the football program. Now, there are great teams at USC, and I know these coaches, and they work their tail off, and they win national championships and all of that, but you can't lay it off on that. Everyone rallies with 90,000 people in the Coliseum and talks about USC football. Right now, it's had a huge heart attack this past year. So you've got to convince everyone, the football program, the fans, that the football program is going to have a complete rehab and is going to be fine to continue pumping the blood through the athletic program for success. 
And I think basically that's what the stage of the USC athletic department is in. All right, Coach. Yeah, we do see a lot of that negativity on Twitter and on the message boards and stuff. It does, it does wear kind of thin. So uh, we'll see it. I think some of that's going to change after signing day, but we'll uh, we'll wait and see that. Um, Lamar had a question. He wants to know, do you feel the players, fans, and the media are excited about the hiring of USC's new defensive coordinator, Clancy Pendergast? When I look at Cal's stats defensively from a year ago, they didn't perform all that well except for the UCLA game. What are your thoughts on uh, what what the fans or everyone else is thinking about the, the new hire? Well, I think a lot of that stems from they don't know who he is or he didn't have a program that's had a lot of success. And you're right, he didn't have a job when he's coming to, to USC. It wasn't like they were so successful the last year or two where they went to bowl games. He's coming from a program where they have uh, just been fired. So a lot of that is his image. Uh, how do you determine how good of a football coach he is by going back to his history and looking at the history. He's been in the NFL. He's coaching the Super Bowl. He's done different things. He's, he's not the personality that a lot of people would know exactly who he is. I think he's smart in coaching the secondary because that's where uh, most or, or a lot of the bleeding is and a lot of young players are going to play. So he's probably saying this is where I want to coach. He'll get someone to help him there with the safeties and, and the corners. He'll get graduate assistants or bring in someone to help him back there. He can't do it by himself because there's different uh, positions you have to coach. And he can see the entire picture back there of the entire defense. You have to have confidence in him because he's the defensive coordinator and you know what he runs. And uh, I think a 34 defense uh, will be a nice defense with multiple fronts, uh, for USC, I think if you came in around the same defense or had the same type of coordinator, there'd be a lot of question marks. You've got to get your players on the field. You've got to be able to uh, be aggressive. You've got to be able to move around. I've heard so many coaches talk about, and people don't realize that you have to confuse, confuse the offensive line. You've got to give them a lot of looks. They've got to be able to have to study a lot for your game plan because they don't know what you're going to do against them. And I think you make up when you have great players and, and the offensive line on the other side or whatever position that might be is confused because of disguising the coverages or, or blitzes or stunts and you're, and you're very physical. I think that you got a chance. And I think that the, I think Monty Kiffin was is a hell of a guy and his record speaks for himself. But I didn't see a physical type of defense. I didn't see great coverage. And maybe it's the players. But I didn't see great tackling. I didn't see the things that were necessary with if these players are five-star players, the type of performance everyone expected at times. I just didn't see that, and more than just at times. Uh, maybe it was attitude. Maybe it was lack of confidence. Whatever it was, people saw the same things I saw, and I don't know what contributed to that. But I think with a change now on the defensive side of the football, I'll be able to tell people more after I watch spring practice. I'll be able to see exactly what teaching is going on out there and the tackling techniques and, and how physical they can get. I do not buy that because of numbers we can't hit. I just don't buy that, okay? I think the way you learn how to play the game of football is play football, not talk about it or walk through it. There are going to be casualties 
in war, like there will be in practice in the games. Our toughest part of the week was practice. The games were easy. We hit more in practice that our kids look forward to the games. We got better in practice because we could practice five days and we only had one game a week, so we couldn't get better just having one practice, which was a game. We had to demonstrate ourselves and our skills every single day. We didn't do a drill that didn't relate to football. We didn't do a lift in the weight room that didn't relate to football. We didn't talk about a topic that didn't relate to football. And it's got to be not brainwashing, but it's got to be the whole package, not just parts of it. Um, Coach, one last thing before we let you go. Uh, There was a, a topic that's come up quite a bit and then and we've heard about the news and and with recruiting and everything that we're talking about that it's the next generation of football players coming up um you're seeing guys you know from high school move to college and you know during the draft college move into the nfl um but there's a lot of talk about how dangerous football is and uh there's more concern about kids playing football it's been in the the media quite a bit i know you've been around the game a long time. I thought it might be interesting to, to share, get, get your thoughts on that subject about kids and is it getting too dangerous for these kids to, to pick up football as a sport? Yeah, I've heard a lot of that. I've heard a lot of discussions. In fact, I've heard parents, uh, you know, I'll be sitting at, at a game or listening to parents talk and I've heard some people say, my son will never play football. So with the way things are going and the head injuries and so on, they'll never play football. And I sit and listen, I say, and I almost feel like interrupting them and say, well, how can you make that decision on what's best for your son at this age? Hey, if, and I'll use myself as an example. Hey, football was everything to me. I need a discipline in my life. There's no discipline in anybody's life today, hardly at school or anywhere. You have to say, please do this and please do that. There isn't a draft any longer when you have to go into draft and some sergeant that tells you what to do, and if you don't do it, you, you either have KP or you run all day, or you give me 100,000 push-ups. You don't have that anymore. You hardly have PE anymore. You don't see kids with scratches on their knees. You don't see toes on shoes worn out like we used to stop our skateboards or stop our bikes by wearing out our toes. And I don't know how many parents out there can remember that some parents used to put the steel toe on your shoes so you wouldn't wear them out. I just believe that to for some kids, discipline and football and competition is so important, so important in their life. Now, I'm not just talking about everybody has to be a football player, but you compete in tennis, you compete in, compete in golf, you compete in band, you compete in debate. You've got to have some competition in your life. Otherwise, you don't know how to compete. And you better have some discipline in your life that if everything doesn't go right for you, you go sit in the closet and shut the door and feel sorry. Poor me, poor me. I used to say, I used to have a T-shirt. I told my one of my players, here, wear this. It says, poor me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to be able to compete. And to say that my kid will never do this or my kid will never do that, that's a big statement because some kids need it. Some kids kids dwell on it. Some kids will go to college because of it. Some kids will say, if you take it away from me, I don't even want to go to school. So to make a statement, yes, it's dangerous to play football, 
It's dangerous to join the Army. It's dangerous to be a police officer. It's dangerous to be a fireman. It's dangerous to work in the coal mines. It's dangerous to drive. It's a, there's a lot of danger in everything, but you have to look at the plus side of it. Football in my life and athletics have been the backbone of me. To compete, to play, the memories, the rings, the watches, the kids that grow up and the way I support them and watch them become successful. I was a teacher. A coach is a teacher. And right now, uh, you don't get the same type of teaching you used to get. And I think everybody needs it because we don't have that form of discipline any longer. I don't feel, maybe you do, maybe as a parent you feel that way, and maybe you do, but in the schools or anywhere without some type of form of requirement, you're late to practice, give me 10 laps. You're late to class or you haven't been going to class, then you're not playing this week. Or as a parent saying, if you don't get your grades, you're not playing football. That kid will get the grades if he wants to play football. Now, if parents think they should make their kid play football, absolutely wrong. A kid has to want to play that type of competitive sport. There's a lot of other ways to bring competition and discipline into a kid's life. Yeah, I, I see that one of, the, one of the things coaches is, I mean, coaches nowadays when kids are, are doing athletic events and sporting leagues and things like that, the whole everyone gets a trophy kind of mentality. I mean, I I loved playing like baseball growing up and different sports. And if we you know won the league, we got a trophy. And if we didn't, we didn't get a trophy. You know, it's. I think there's we're losing some of that now. Part of the competition side, like you mentioned, if you just try to make it a great experience for everyone, as opposed to letting people learn what it's like to win and what it's like to lose. I agree. I agree. I think it's. Uh what it's all about because when you get out of school and when you get out of college, now the real competition starts, okay? College is not the, but nothing but a format of, of a lot of roadblocks that you have to overcome and take some classes that you didn't want to take and compete against other students. Hey, I know a lot of guys that didn't go to college that are very successful people. There's no warranty that, oh, automatically you graduate from college, you're going to be a big timer. No. But you got to get out there and do some competition. You got to get out there and find out. Now you're not getting up to go to class. You're getting up to go to work and compete against a person who's wants the same dollar that you're after. So I think it's very important. And you know we got a lot of nerds out there that compete and make a lot of money by looking at the computer all day, and they own all the teams. These guys, because they've made a lot of money doing that. But that's great. Because that's where their interest is, and that's where they compete. They're hiring guys like that that don't even—they don't even care if they go to college. But they're so far, college is boring to them. Class is boring to them. That's great. I support that. But you gotta have some other things that help motivate people to compete in life. All right. Well, coach, great stuff. We uh, always love talking to you, and it'll be fun next week. We can uh, talk about some different subjects post-signing day. should be a lot of fun, and I look forward to that one. But thanks again for coming on the show. Buddy, it's always a pleasure. I want to thank all of our listeners out there for joining us. And uh, have a good one. I'll tell you, football's never over. Next <laughs> is recruiting, then spring practice, and then uh, before long it'll be fall camp. So uh, 
Buckle up out there and have a great week. All right. Thanks again, Coach, and everyone else. Hey, we're going to talk some more USC football with Dan Weber coming up in 30 seconds. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast. i got Dan Weber on the line, uscfootball.com. Beat writer extraordinaire, going to talk some USC football, answer some of your questions on, uh, from email and on Twitter today. What's going on, Dan? How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Can't wait to get through this week and then kind of get the coaches back and See where we're uh, see where we're headed with uh, the new uh, new defense with Clancy Pendergrass, and you know we're not any more interested in this than the players themselves because uh, with the coaches having been out of town, you know pretty much uh, consistently the last couple of weeks, uh, players probably don't know a whole lot more what's going on than we do. So uh, this will be interesting to get everybody back in town after uh, after Wednesday. Yeah, for a signing day, for sure. And I, I was I was told by a USC staffer that they hadn't talked to Clancy Pendergast much either. He hasn't been available for media interviews yet, but he just hasn't been there. He's been on the road. Uh, but that and all... that's the you know that's the the choice you got to make. You know when the the hiring and the timing is such, and you got to get him out there to talk to everybody that you know is uh, you know potential signee on defense, and uh, and that's the right way to do it. But uh, but then that doesn't, you know, leave any time for him to be around to talk to anybody. You know, he could talk to us, and people could read the story and 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 know he's thinking. But uh, as uh, as Devon Kennard was saying Friday, he just said, you know, he says, I know what you guys know. You know, we all sort of think, you know, maybe this is what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. But said, uh, you know, we haven't, uh, we don't know any more than you do. Um. Well, yeah, hopefully we'll know some more pretty soon, but like you said, that'll happen after signing day. Uh, we can jump into some of these questions, Dan. We do have some email ones, and we have some ones from Twitter. Uh, Coach G wanted to know, he said, uh, Dan, I was looking at the winter workouts, and we put up some videos. They've done a couple of winter workouts, and not, not too many people have attended, but we do put we put up some video, and you can check that out. And he said, I noticed the lack of receiving fundamentals by the core receivers, the basic things like looking the ball into your hands, tucking the ball immediately after catching it, switching the ball to the outside arm after the catch and run are rarely executed. As a player and coach, those things are automatic. These things make a difference in games. I have a problem with the total lack of fundamentals taught in the USC program across the board. Why can't these highly paid coaches stress the basics? As Dan says, just ask it. That's from Coach G. (laughs) Coach G, might be a tad over analyzing. I think one of the issues this year, if we're talking about this year's winter workouts, mostly all uh, that Ryan was able to shoot was um, was kind of what almost you would consider warm up time. Uh, and 
they didn't have much time on the field before they had to leave for a golf class and, and finish up inside. And it's really been, these have been like super informal, uh, unscripted, uh, not, uh, you know, kind of even reaching the level of, uh, of the voluntary throwing sessions or anything like that. So, so it's more just, um, kind of a warm down. I think, uh, they've already done their running and they've already done their weightlifting. So what you're seeing, uh, on the recent ones, it's pretty much just uh, finishing up uh, of a you know a session of, uh, of running and weightlifting. So I'm not so sure that uh, uh, you know you, you could analyze completely what they're being taught uh, in terms of fundamentals and tucking the ball in and all of that. that those are really pretty much just just warm ups. Uh, I do think uh, it would be hard. If you would wanted to pick out one thing that USC doesn't do well, catching the football might not be the one you would focus on. If you looked at you know Robert Woods and Marquise Lee, and you could say, oh, he, just, he dropped three or something over the year. They catch the football pretty well. Devon Flournoy, uh, you know the, the the tight ends. I think Xavier maybe had a had a uh, a little streak there, a couple of you know catches that he didn't handle, but Catching the football is not one is something that that they don't they don't do well. And that may be a little bit uh, over analyzing. I, I would think uh, once we see them and where they're really organized in terms of these are the throws they want to make, these are the catches they want to make, and, and winter workouts and all of that. Now again, winter workouts are without coaches, so uh, they're a little bit more on their own, uh, without a doubt. Coaches can't watch them can't be any part of it so uh uh we'll see i mean it's something you don't want it to you know to carry on whether they just totally go you know freelance and and and, and do anything they want but I, I would say i was for example last year t martin after practice was doing things with kids like uh uh tennis ball you know serving machine from uh you know 10 yards away asking them to catch the ball in one hand catch the tennis ball in one hand things like that they they had some specific things they were working on with George Farmer and all that. So uh, I, I think that may be a little bit overcritic, overcritical and maybe not quite warranted uh, right now. Okay. Uh, we got a bunch, actually. I, I put a little Twitter post this morning, Dan, before we uh, start taping, and I got a bunch of Twitter questions. So we can do okay. a few we'll of these, too. I'll mix here. these in here. Um, the Crazy Magnet wants to know who's going to start at Mike Linebacker next season. That's a good question. I mean, if they have two, I mean, that's uh, even more so. I tried to tempt Devon Kennard the other day and said, yeah, you got it. You didn't got experience. You had that sophomore year where you were uh, uh, played inside. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on the edge. I'm going to be defensive <laughs> end or, or, uh, or outside linebacker, but I'm, I'm going to be on the edge. Uh, I, you know, you would certainly think Lamar Dawson will be there. And, and it may be a, a determination as to, who else is on the edge? For example, if you have Devon Kennard and uh, Morgan Breslin outside, uh, certainly allows you to put Hayes Pillard inside, and you know allows you to put Dion Bailey at uh, as a safety. So that might be a way I might look at. You know, with uh, uh, you got uh, uh, so you got uh, Devon Kennard and Morgan Breslin at the outside backers, and you've got uh, Hayes Pillard and uh, and Lamar Dawson inside in terms of, you know, getting that 
first shot at it, and I kind of like the looks of that. It's a pretty big, strong uh, veteran uh, group with some real physical skills. Actually, that, that looks pretty darn good. That would be bad. Yeah. Think about it. <laughs> huh? Yeah, not bad, not bad. That's, um, a, that's, a pretty, uh, that's a pretty good group. And kind of a so, follow-up. Uh, that'd be a pretty good place to start. Yeah. and uh, I, but I, I like the looks of that one. Okay. Um, uh, it's kind of a follow-up. This one's from Anthony. Uh, in that new defensive scheme, how many more blitzes can you expect to see from the new defensive coordinator? You know, I don't, you know, I don't know about more. I think probably USC blitzed more than it, than it looked like. I think they, they weren't always – the, you know the, the the best timed or or um, best executed, uh, but um, uh, I think it'll be more of a veteran veteran group. Even though you know it'll be kind of a first time uh, doing uh, what Clancy Pendergrass uh, likes to do. I just think it'll be he likes to he likes to come after you. I don't think there's any question, and he likes to come after you in a lot of different ways. I think the one stat that was interesting is that uh, the one year, two years ago, I guess, at Cal, when he, they, uh, they were one of the top teams in the country in sacking and they were one of the top defenses. But he had, I think, uh, 13 different guys uh, recorded sacks, which, you know, that's, that means you're getting them from everywhere. You're getting them from, you know, everybody in the secondary even. Uh, so I think he likes to do that, you know, different people from different places. So, uh yeah, I, I don't think it'll be just oh, it's going to be all out blitzing and what have you, but I I do think that they're going to you know come at you in different ways, and that's one of the things he really likes to do. Okay, uh, this one's from Pops. There's an email question. He says, uh, Dan Weber made a strange comment about USC and Max Wittick. He said at at some point in the Sun Bowl, Wittick was on the sidelines looking lost and down with no one to talk to. What did he mean to imply by that? That's uh, from Pops. Oh, I, I didn't mean to imply anything. I just meant he was on the sidelines with nobody to talk to. That's all. Uh, the, the head coach was working on his play sheet for the next series when they got the ball. Uh, the quarterback coach is up in the booth. And for some reason, and, and Max ver- you know, verified this for us, he and Barkley hadn't really been – spending a lot of time together so it was kind of sad watching him walk around with kind of nobody to talk to I mean it is one of the indications uh if you want to say there's an implication they really need to uh strengthen um game game day sideline management and 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 the way the way the bench works and uh and that wasn't handled very well. And, that, and that's one of the downsides of the head coach as the, uh, as the play caller and the offensive coordinator. And, uh, I mean, Lane has, has admitted it. It's hard for him to, to really talk to the whole team at halftime because he's so focused on, you know, trying to get the plays set up for the second half. And uh, I just thought it was – Pretty obvious. Uh, kid was having a very difficult day, difficult difficult conditions. Uh, nothing was working, and he was kind of by himself, nobody to talk to. And uh, that's where you'd like to have somebody able to talk to him. Kessler was trying to stay a little bit warm, 
uh, in that very cold day, just in case uh, uh, Max got his helmet, you know, torn off or whatever, and he had to go in for a play or so. So there just there kind of wasn't anywhere for Max to to go and talk to anybody. So that that's all, man. Okay. Um, here's an interesting one from JJB, who wrote in and was talking about Chad Wheeler. The uh, you know he redshirted last year from Santa Monica High School, really tall offensive lineman. Um, he wants to know how much potential do you think Chad Wheeler has? I think they think he does. Uh, I think uh, he and Nathan Gertler. I think together you got a couple of guys that are in that six 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 seven range and uh, and rangy uh, and. Uh, Guys that have you know have uh, some uh, technique ability. Neither one of them has has put on you know quite the weight you know that he needs uh, uh, to get you know to get to where they want him to be. But they both look like they've got that potential. I mean you know these might be the guys that you see at the next level who finally you know grow into their bodies and and uh, but they look like the kind of guys you know that. That have pretty good, um, you know, feet and pretty good technique, and uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of have the ability to, to um, you know, attack people and things like that. And they just need to need to get a little bit stronger. But uh, but I think they're both kind of lurking in the background of 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 the offensive line and the kind of guys that over over a year, over a winter, and a summer. You just never know, you know, where they could be. But, uh, but I think he's, uh, you know, especially, uh, you know, Wheeler is kind of a youngish kid who just looks like uh, there's a lot of potential there. So I don't think anybody's writing, writing those guys off. I think there's, uh, there's uh, some real interest in, uh, in how far and how far and how fast they can come. Okay, let's see. Why don't we go back to uh, Twitter? And uh, Chris, who is uh, known as Pac-12 or 12-Pack Kool-Aid, um, want to know about any ideas on other coaches being hired. So USC still has two assistant coaching spots open, one for linebackers and one for we're not really sure. Have you heard anything new about that? That's the weird thing. Because of the coaches, you know, the total um, focus on recruiting, the fact that they've been out of town almost the entire time, uh, you know, we were kidding about. It. We thought um, it was fairly quiet on the defensive coordinator's job, even though you know, kind of, from all of our points of view, the focus seemed to be Clancy Pendergrass. But uh, but you had a, enough names that you could really take a look at. That hasn't been the case. I mean, I think the one the one name um, uh, is probably out of the mix. You know, for the offensive line after being you know promoted to. Uh, uh, Offensive coordinator at Stanford. So, other than that, uh, you know, maybe you know people throw in the name of you know former line coach Tim Davis down in Florida. But uh, I'm just not sure about the timing there, and I'm not sure you know in terms of the relationship with um, with Tim and Lane on the same staff. I don't know how how that how that would work, but there's just really you know we don't even know for sure that they're going to go in that direction on the offensive line. And uh, honestly, the linebackers thing, it's just, I don't, I just haven't heard any names. I mean, really, really not. It, it was, 
it was awfully quiet. I think we could figure out Pendergast, but it wasn't because there was a lot of, you know, internal talking about it or, or even the other coaches talking about it. But as far as, uh, as far as this one goes, no. And, and we've heard, you know, we thought, well, have they put on kind of an informal hiring freeze or, you know, has that been the word out that, you know, don't, don't even think about it. Take your time. Uh, just have them here by spring ball. Uh, and we've heard that's probably not the case that there's, you know, kind of a formal or informal hiring freeze. It's just, it doesn't seem to be on the radar that anybody knows about that, that we can, you know, cite somebody looking at this guy or thinking about that guy or whatever. It's just really not there right now. Okay. Let's see. Brandon Matthews uh, from Twitter had a couple of questions. First one was, what is the latest with Dion Bailey? Switch to safety or stay put at linebacker? I actually talked to him, Dan, a little bit about this, like during the bowl practices. And he seemed like he was down for switching. Um, I mean, I think he was focused on what what's going to help me get drafted, what's going to help me for playing the next level. But he definitely did not seem opposed to switching to safety. Um, but I wanted to get, you know, what's your thoughts on all that? Well, I, yeah, I think that's what he's been thinking. He really wanted to be a good team player, and he knew that, you know, last year they really thought he had to be, uh, you know, an outside linebacker. And and so I don't think he wanted to talk much about it because he didn't want to seem like, oh, you know, uh, I'm a malcontent or whatever if I'm saying I want to be another position. So I, I always thought that was really considerate of the team uh, and, you know, doing what, what's best for the team by never trying to, you know, talk much about that. But I don't think it was any question uh, very clear that he knows where he's going to have to play at the next level and where he's going to play at the next level. And uh, the sooner he gets there, uh, the better. And the sooner that works out with USC and what USC needs, the better. So, uh it certainly looks like that will be the case this year, that that's the, the natural place, you know, with, uh, with the need for experience there and uh, all the things he does so well. I mean, he could be a, a big-time uh, big safety and big-time NFL safety. And the way he closes on the football, the things he does so well, tackle and space and all of that, it's just uh, – I mean, he's, he's got the perfect skill set and perfect, you know, mentality and temperament uh, to take over at, at that spot uh, with, a, with a couple of, you know, big-time freshmen coming in and be a nice, uh, nice mix. And, they're, you know, with the holdover guys, I think it's, uh, it's a perfect move. I can't imagine that, that they don't do it. I'd, I'd be shocked if, if they wouldn't do it. Okay, let's see. Uh, he had a second question. Uh, also, what injury did Kevon Seymour sustain during the season, and how was his progress? Well, I thought he was back by he was uh, he was back by the end of the year. I can't. Uh, I, I wish I could even remember. What I'm not recalling is. either. Yeah, I don't remember what it that was. was. Uh, it was it was one of those unreported ones that you know it was like a you know kind of a groin pull kind of a thing. I mean, it wasn't ever really obvious. It's just he, he just slowed down, and three or four weeks he just wasn't able to go. But when he was able to come back, uh, uh, you know, he, he seemed fine. I mean, he, he – so 
I don't I don't think his it, all what his injury did. I don't think it was a physical issue in terms of recovering from it or uh, you know lingering or whatever. It, all it did was it kept him out of uh, you know a number of games and he didn't get you know as much experience as he would have gotten. And that was where the the damage I think was done you know from his injury. But it wasn't anything of any real significance. But uh, the way the way injuries are reported. Now, if it's not something that's like you can really tell with an ankle or a knee or a wrist or something like that, uh, you're guessing. Uh, and sometimes, you know, some of the kids will tell you, but they're kind of discouraged from telling you. Uh, and we're discouraged actually from asking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so some of them you can find out exactly and some, some you can't, but, uh, whether it was a whether it was a groin pull, a hip pointer, you know the kinds of things that are just not so obvious, other than that the guy's you know, slowed down and doesn't seem to be able to, to you know get much work in. Uh, sometimes we don't really know very very you know clearly exactly what's going on. All right, uh, we're going to finish up with. Uh, let's see, we'll go to Kuzar. I think it's Kuzaro is what he says on Twitter. It's a great podcast. Thank you very much. Um, what do you believe? Will, who do you believe will be the two main wide receivers next year for whoever gets the quarterback nod? Well, you can uh, guess let me one. See. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess. Uh, Marquise Lee, I think, is probably going to be in the running, and then uh, I, I, you know, I, Nelson Aguilar. Whatever you go, watch him do anything. Is the first guy out there. He's uh, he's got that, you know, leadership quality. He's just got there's something special about him. Uh, I do think you know George Farmer is going to be a factor. I mean, and, and there's not a day goes by when Devon Flournoy doesn't make a bunch of plays. So uh, you know, you know, I hope they get to the point this year where it's not just one guy and maybe a second guy. Uh, I think, you know, they really need to get to a point where where you're going to have to defend a lot of people and uh, where they can throw the ball to a lot of people. And uh, one would hope that that, that would be this year because they've got a lot of people they can, you know, that, that, that can make plays for you. I mean, there's no question about it. And we'll see Darius Rogers, you know, give you a uh, an incoming freshman who's kind of more mature than a – freshman uh, would normally be and he's got a different you know kind of skill set size-wise skill set that uh, that they haven't you know exactly had before at red wide receiver recently so uh, uh, you know one would just hope that you know the same with the uh, you know tight ends that, that they have the ability on offense in terms of they run enough plays and they have enough confidence that uh, you know even with the younger quarterback that they can get the ball to a lot of different people. And uh, uh, that was a, probably the most frustrating thing. You know, other than the 34 turnovers, the inability to spread their ball around on offense was just infuriating. And uh, that that couldn't happen this year, you know, was just, uh, you know, uh, of all the all the failings on offense, that, that might have been uh, – might have been, you know, the number one, number one thing, and the, and probably the most inexplicable in terms of uh, even if you didn't have total confidence in your offensive line, how you couldn't figure out how to distribute the ball more, 
it's 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 puzzling to me. Uh, all right, Dale. Let's finish off with one last one. This is from another one from Twitter. This is Raymond. Oh, by the way, it's at Inside Troy is my Twitter handle. We don't have one for Dan yet, but we're still working on it. We'll, <laughs> one of these days, Dan, we'll get you on there too. Okay. On, on tweeting. Um, he wants to know. Would like to know who you think will burst onto the scene next year, specifically guys like Christian Thomas, Greg Townsend, and Charles Burks. Yeah, Christian Thomas, I think, is, is, is the interesting one. I know he's been kind of discouraged because that darn hip parley surgery, he had the worst one, and it took the longest, and he just didn't kick into place until kind of the end of the year when it looked like, okay, maybe he is now ready to go. But he's got, you know, 6'3", 250, explosive, you know, of all the tight ends. He's the most, probably the most explosive. All the junior promos got some another kind of skill set, but, uh, uh, and whether he ends up as a, you know, defensive end, outside linebacker, uh, he certainly uh, had the ability uh, just on kickoff coverage, for example, as a true freshman uh, to, uh, you know, make plays, impact the game. He was the guy that when it looked like they might not get another fullback, they were talking about moving to fullback or moving to that Rhett Ellison kind of a role maybe the maybe there's a red ellison kind of a role where you have you end up with a couple of tight ends but one of them is sort of an ace back type uh, where you get him to the point of attack uh, i mean let's hope that you know it's been a tough couple of years for christian with injuries and things like that and i know he's probably not you know where he he certainly wanted to be in his career but he's got plenty of time and uh so he would be uh he'd be you know of that of that group, I think he would be my you know my pick as a guy that you know could just really end up in the middle of of, of some important um, stuff uh, you know developing for USC. He's he's kind of the, the under the radar unsung player who could uh, really have an impact. All right, Dan. Well, we appreciate it as always. Uh, good stuff. Thanks for everyone out there for sending in the questions especially those last minute ones on twitter that's some fun ones to get to it's crazy right now with signing day but we still want to talk about the team we're going to try to do a recruiting podcast tomorrow the day before signing day to kind of give you a preview and i know gerard put up his uh prediction thread he always puts up the percentages of uh, the guys he thinks have the potential for to sign with usc so that's on the front page of uscfootball.com right now it's always a popular feature getting to Gerard's mind see what he thinks the percentage are for each of these guys and I, they, I will say this after reading that Gerard there's not a feature for Gerard uh working for a lot of other boards because uh there's a he was way too realistic I thought <laughs> way too, <laughs> that, yeah, when you read some of the other boards and every single person they've got on there has every single player committing to hmm, guess who the team that has the board. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Gerard terrific job of being really uh, unbiasedly, uh, you know, this is this is where it is, and, and we're not going to, you know, wave the flag or be a homer. This is this is uh, these are the numbers, and this is, you know, I I thought he did a, a terrific job. Yeah, it's a it's a good feature. Definitely check it out on uscfootball.com. We'll have a ton of stuff. Going up this week, I still have another video to put up from the last workout, and uh, so check on that. I, I was in Vegas this weekend, Dan, so I'm, 
I'm slowly recovering. <laughs> just flew yeah. in this morning, but we'll get we'll get a bunch more stuff up. And of course, signing day on Wednesday. Our, the busiest day of the year on USCFootball.com is signing day, so should be a lot of fun. Should be. Can't wait. All right. Well, At thank- least they don't have a big number. I mean, that's the advantage of. I guess there's two advantages to having the NCAA sanctions uh, and the early entries. Uh, there aren't a lot of guys. You know, you're not waiting on 30 guys on Wednesday, and uh, that's kind of interesting. All right. Well, thanks again. Yeah. Thanks again. Great stuff. And everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle podcast. We'll come back. The plan is for tomorrow to do a recruiting blast before signing day. Stay tuned for that. And then next week, we'll be back with the regular scheduled podcast on Monday. Thanks again for tuning in. And we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 